Great. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Isaiah 22. podium is too small for me. Is that all right if I stand here? Is that okay? I've got more stuff than that. Hallelujah. All right. So read along with me in your Bibles. Thank you. All right. Hallelujah. Let's close your eyes and we'll have some prayer. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's read a verse in Isaiah 22. A very special verse to me that I believe is a prophecy of the cross. We're going to read this and then we're going to pray. Isaiah chapter 22. I'm going to read this in English and then I'm going to go over it in Hebrew with you. We're going to go over it word for word. Anyway, the New King James has it this way. Isaiah 22 verse 22. The key of the house of David... I will lay on his shoulder. I want you to notice that a key, you have to have a key and a lock. key is something that goes into something else and opens it up. And I will lay it on his shoulder. And he shall open or it shall open. In Hebrew, it could be either one. And no one will shut. He shall shut and no one will open. I will fasten him or fasten it. It could be either one. As a peg in a secure place. And he will become a glorious throne to his father's house and they will hang on him all the glory of his father's house. Now I want to go over those words in the Hebrew. I'm going to translate it for you word for word. Isaiah 22, 22 also. It says, and, and I will give a key of the house of David on his shoulders and it will open and no one will shut it will shut, no one will open. And I will, now the word here is fasten. It means, it is like when you take a hammer and you nail something into something. He says, and I will nail this. Now you have peg there, but I think a better word is stake. The word yeted is a stake. And I will nail it as a stake. That means in a faithful place, not a secure place, in a faithful place. And then it says, and it will become a throne. Amazing, it says, and the stake will become a throne. It's unbelievable. The stake will become a throne of glory to the house of its fathers, and I will hang upon it. The exact same word for hanging him on the cross. And I will hang upon him or hang upon it all the glory of his father's house. Praise God. Well, let's pray. Father, I... Pray right now that we would be able to give glory to Yeshua. Lord, that you would open up our eyes to the meaning of the cross, the relationship between the cross and the throne, and Lord, how you have set that as the center of the universe. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I ask for your grace. Lord, that they might see you, Jesus, and not see me. They might hear you and not hear me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, it said here that God was going to take a stake and set it in place, nail it in place in the center of Jerusalem. Unbelievable. What a prophecy of the cross. Isaiah 22, 23. That God would take a stake, yated, and set that in the center of Jerusalem. And he said that stake would be in a faithful place. 
the faithful place would be Jerusalem. He would put the stake, the cross, in a certain place, which would be Jerusalem, and that stake in that place would be the faithfulness of God. And he said that that stake in that place would be like a key. What is the key? The stake. A key has to have a lock. If the, if the cross is the stake, then what's the lock? The lock is Jerusalem. When you put that stake, that key, in that lock, that place, which is Jerusalem, that's what releases, unleaks, opens a door that no one can shut and shuts a door that no one can open. That is the stake of God. And it says this, that on that stake... God would nail the authority and the glory of the Father's house. I want you to see something here. That the cross was not only the place where Jesus hung to forgive you of sins. Concentrate with me here. It was more than that. It was also the place where God set a stake which was to be the center of the universe, the center of His kingdom. He nailed in place His moment of authority. His nailed it, His, his authority, His focus point, His center of the universe, the center of the government. God did not just put Jesus on that cross to forgive you of sins. He put Him on that cross to nail in place the center of the kingdom of God upon the earth. He said this. Well, I, I look at that again as like a, a key going into a place to release the power. That stake is like when a, a surveyor goes to survey a land. You know how he starts? He puts one stake in the ground. And then every other measurement, he doesn't measure the other places directly. He measures the other places from that stake. You follow me? I didn't say that very clearly. But you got the point? There is a starting stake point of which every other thing is measured from. That's what that cross is in that place. It's the starting stake of the, of the kingdom of God from which everything else is measured out from that. Not just your forgiveness, but the kingdom of God, His authority, the purpose of God. Every single thing that He wants starts at that moment. God nailed into position their ground zero. He nailed he into position there, the beginning of his measuring place. He measured into, he staked into that cross the measuring rod by which he would measure every dimension of the kingdom of God. Now from that point, Jesus said in John 12, he said, if I be lifted up on that stake, on that ground zero, that starting measuring point, I will draw all men unto me. That means from east into west, that's horizontal. He's lifted up in that place and he said, if I be lifted up there, I will draw men from the east. I will draw men from the west. I will draw them laterally, horizontally from every direction. I will draw them unto me. You got that? That's John 12. But in Ephesians 1.10, God said that it was God's plan through Jesus on the cross to unite everything, both that which is in heaven and upon earth. So not only did He draw things toward Jesus horizontally, all men upon the cross, but He also drew things together from top to bottom vertically. All things that are heaven and on earth are also drawn together. It is on the cross that Jesus draws all people and races, races and nations together. And it's also on the cross that He pulls heaven down and pulls earth up. On that place, He nails in the center. He nails that stake right in the center. He pulls all men east and west. He pulls heaven down and earth up. God has nailed at that stake in, on the cross every single thing of the kingdom of God, not just the forgiveness of your sins. It is the center, the focus. He nailed it right in the center. And He said, on that cross, I will hang all of the glory of my Father's house. 
On that cross is not just the forgiveness of your sins. On that cross is hung all of the Father's glory, all of His kingdom, all of His government. Every single thing of the kingdom of God is hung right in that place. The kingdom of God has a starting point. It has a finishing point. It has a focal point. It has a place where God has nailed the center of His kingdom. And He says, there it is. In Psalm chapter 2, he said, I have set, I have nailed my king on my holy hill and all the nations may be in rebellion to it, but right there they will come to submit or be destroyed. At that cross in that center of Jerusalem, he has set that place. Now, he set it in that place for a purpose. That place is the center of heaven and earth. And you've got to realize that when Jesus did that, he was lifted up. Jesus could not just be, how can I explain this? He couldn't have been crucified standing on the ground. He had to be lifted up. You see, because he had to be lifted up. He was crucified between heavenly Jerusalem and, and earthly Jerusalem. He had, to be, he had to be crucified in between there, because that's the place where vertically he draws the two together. Do you see what I'm saying? He's hanging between heaven and earth because that's the point that heaven and earth come together on. Now, it's interesting. You know, the Bible says twice, once in the book of Genesis and once in 1 Chronicles, that in the days of a man named Peleg, the earth was divided. The word Hebrew, in Hebrew, Peleg, Lephaleg, means to divide. A little Hebrew there, but anyway, if you take that... the way it seems to me, and I wouldn't base my salvation on this, but it seems to me that's when the American continents were divided off of the European continents and, and, and Australia and everything. And if you look at the map of the world and you just stick them all back together, it makes a landmass and a big circle with Jerusalem right in the center of it. I don't know what this, this has got nothing to do with anything, but if you push down on Jerusalem and stick it out the other end, it pops out like a belly button on Hawaii. I don't know. That's got nothing to do with anything. I just thought it was interesting. But, 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 but anyhow, but the idea is if you, if you put the earth back together the way God originally created it, the center of that circle, it, like, a, like a target, is Jerusalem. And if you see God being a firmament, firmament up above that, that's where His throne is. And what you see is that cross being in the center, up in the air, between heaven and earth, and north and south, east and west. It just right where He was hanging right there was just the whole center of everything God made. Amazing. Now, so you can also look at it another way. Like if you had a big target with concentric circles and you go right into the center of that target, you've got a bullseye. And the bullseye in the center of that circle is the cross of Jesus. Now, God put that cross, as I said, it was very specific what he did in Jerusalem. But not physically in Jerusalem, up above Jerusalem, so he's in between the two, hanging in the air in between, east and west in the center, north, up and down in the center, right there, Jesus hanging on the cross is the center of the universe. Now, if you looked at Jesus hanging on the cross with his head above one and his, and his, his hands out, and if you look right where that cross comes together, it's amazing. Right where that cross comes together is his heart. Whew, the heart of Jesus is at the center of the universe right on that cross. And when he was on that cross, a soldier came and pushed a spear right into the center of his heart, at the center of the cross, at the center of the target, at the center of the universe, which began to bleed blood and and to, and to pour out water. What an amazing thing. I want you to see that the whole universe centers around that cross. I've heard in different types of Uh, streams of revelation in the body of Christ, sometimes people say this in different movements, well, we've gotten beyond the cross. You know, like we've had that revelation, now we've gone on to a more advanced advanced revelation. You can't get a more advanced revelation than that. That is the center of where all the revelation comes. You know, and we need to go back to that. We need not to be afraid of staying on that. Now, what's amazing, something else here, is that it... um, well, let me take one more point here. That everything is connected to that cross. Now, 
in any movement of revelation, heavenly revelation you get, might be prosperity, might be, uh, uh, might be prophetic gifts, might be the restoration of Israel. It could be anything, some kind of prophetic revelation you get is, is like going up into the clouds and getting a revelation. It's like a kite going up into getting a But that kite has better be attached on that string back to that cross. Because if your prophetic stream of revelation, whether it be faith, prosperity, whether it be prophetic cutting-edge intercession, whether it be uh, messianic Judaism, whatever it is, if it's not attached to that cross, you are a kite floating out with no direction, with no coordinates, with no mapping coordinates, and you are lost. You may think you are flying high and going around and getting all kinds of mystic revelations, but you are a lost kite, buddy. You are a little kid's balloon that he let go out of his hand. It's floating up there and everybody may think you're spiritual and mystical and cutting-edge revelation, but you are lost and you are missing the point because the point there is right in that center. And what we need to do when any revelation, whether it's Messianic Judaism, Word of Faith, Holiness, I don't care what it is, International House of Prayer, that you got to connect that thing back to the cross and cut it right there in that center, or you are disconnected from the center and the authority and the truth of God. Now, one of the things that most burdens my heart, I would say if there's anything that, that drives me in my motivation, is to preach the message of the crucifixion of Yeshua in Jerusalem, in Hebrew, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That is what my heart bleeds on. That is what I I live, eat, eat, breathe. I mean, that, that is what my heart is. But I want you to follow these words carefully, what I meant here. First of all, the cross has to be preached. There's a lot of different messages going on. If you hear all the different things about different people around the world and their Israel mandate, sometimes it's everything but Jesus and the cross. As I tell you something, I'll tell you one thing right now. If I stop preaching the cross, I can get an invitation into the head rabbi's office. I can get an invitation into the chief, into the prime minister's office. I can get an invitation anywhere I want to in Israel. But because I preach the cross, I'll get thrown out of any place there and I'd rather get thrown out. So the, but Jesus has to be preached in the cross, on the cross, and it has to be, now watch this, it has to be preached in Hebrew or the stake isn't going into the ground. See, the ground there is the native people that live in the city. And we can go there and preach the cross of Jesus in English or Korean or any other language and do that to a whole bunch of international things. And that's fine. That's the cross. But it's not going in the ground. The stake's not going in the ground. You following me? It's got to be get there to the local people. But it can't just be that. It can't just be preached in Hebrew to the local people. It has to be preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know people in Jerusalem that preach the cross of Jesus in Hebrew without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that's the right thing. And I know people that speak it in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but without in Hebrew. But you've got to have the heavenly glory, and you've got to have the stake going into the ground. You've got to have both. You've got to have the message, you've got to have it going into the ground, and you've got to have the heavenly power. The message is the cross, the ground is in Hebrew to the local people, and the glory is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That, that to me, is... is uh, that is just everything. I can't imagine anything else. And of course, there's other people. It's not just me. There's lots of people that, that we have other brothers and sisters. I am certainly not the only evangelist or Bible teacher in Israel. I don't get me wrong with that. But I'm saying that's the center of my heart. That's what, what makes my heart beat is to see that happen as that cross gets to be, uh, the cross would be preached there. Now, there is a spiritual opposition to that message being preached. In Jerusalem, in that place, in that language, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there is an opposition. I don't know if you can you feel that in the spirit. I, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Isaac walking up that hill to Jerusalem with that wood on his back. 
getting ready to get sacrificed. Abraham and Isaac walking up that hill. What the weight, spiritual weight. I'm not talking about the weight of the wood. You see, I'm sure he was a strapping young man. That wood was easy for him to carry. But he's walking up there getting ready to sacrifice. His dad is getting ready to sacrifice him up there. And they're walking up that hill with all the spiritual weight and coming against them. And they're walking up against everything of the flesh and the world and the devil to walk up that hill. You with me? I want you to picture on that the same thing of Yeshua walking up that hill, carrying that cross. It wasn't that the cross was heavy. It was the weight of the sin of mankind that was upon Him as He went step after step up that hill to be able to get there, to put that stake, that peg in that faithful place in Jerusalem to fulfill Isaiah 22 and all the forces of hell were to push him away as he went to, and God said, I will set that stake in a faithful place in Jerusalem. And when it happened, Jesus did it 2,000 years ago. Jesus took the stake of God and stuck it into the ground in that faithful place. And he said, there, Father, Hang all of your glory upon that place. Now, I look at that. That's the same effort to come back and now preach it. The same message. Everything is against that. All the force of hell, all of our, the rabbis, everything, the terrorism, terrorism, rabbinic pride, the, everything is just against that one message being preached in that city. We're taking that thing back up that hill again. And I just see that like, you know that picture of Iwo Jima, of the soldiers trying to push that flag up? I just see that, that of trying to get that message of the cross back up onto that hill in Jerusalem and set it into that position again, the preaching of the cross in Hebrew under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the city of Jerusalem is like the saints of God coming in Iwo Jima to set that stake, that flag, that banner, that message, that person, that cross, that stake upon which the Father will hang all of His glory to set it back in that faithful place once again. Now, an amazing thing here is that it's said in that prophecy, it's incredible, it says, the stake will become the throne. The stake will become the throne. The cross of Jesus and the throne of Jesus are the two great messages that we have. That Jesus died upon the cross is one, and the second is that He's coming back as a king to set up His throne in the city of Jerusalem. That's the other thing. I look at that as one message goes to the people of Israel. The other message goes to the church. The message that goes to the the nation of Israel is that Jesus died upon the cross there. The message that goes to the church is that Jesus is coming back as a king to sit upon His throne in the same place that He was crucified in. And just it is is a spiritual effort to get that message about the cross preached into the heart of Israel, so is it a spiritual battle and a spiritual effort to get the message of Jesus coming back as a king to set up His throne in Jerusalem. There is a spiritual effort to get that preached in the church. One is an evangelistic message to Israel. The other is a prophetic message to the church. But I want to tell you that of all the messages we could teach in Israel, this is the message. All the other messages are side messages. You agree with me on that? That's easy for you, huh? Wait till you get the other side of this. It's easy to know that of all the messages we could preach to Israel, you know, comfort ye my people and we love you and we're going to help you make Aliyah and all that stuff. That's nice. But ultimately the message is that Jesus was crucified for your sins in this city. That is the message that God wants to speak to the nation of Israel. That's the voice of God to the nation of Israel. Now you got that, but let's look at the other side. God wants to speak in a voice, in a message to the church. This is the prophetic message. It is the prophetic message that all other messages are secondary to that. And that is that Jesus is coming back to rule as a king and sit on His throne in the city of Jerusalem. Now it's interesting, the part that is most difficult for the church is the Jerusalem part. 
Well, he's coming back. Amen, brother. He's a king. Amen, brother. He has all authority on heaven and earth. Amen, brother. He's going to sit on his throne. Amen, brother. And it's going to be in Jerusalem. You know, I want to tell you something as a Jew. For us, for, for me to swallow the message of the cross, I can't tell you, man, that the cross is like a, a chicken bone caught in our throat. I mean, for a Jew even to say, I mean, we just can't even say it. We the, the cross. I, I, I can't even. And I don't know why the church just chokes when it gets to Jerusalem. You know, every other prophetic message, hallelujah, amen, let's wave a flag. But I tell you, when you talk about Jesus on that throne, in that city, in that place. Now, here's what I want to show you. Here's what this prophecy said. That stake will become the chair. The message of that stake in that place is the same message as the chair in that place. The stake in that place is the same message as the chair in that place. In Hebrew, chair and throne are the same thing. But, but let, let's do it in English. The message of the cross in that place is the same message as the throne in that place. In Hebrew, it comes out this way. The message of the stake in that place is the same message as the chair in that place. I just want to remind you that a throne is just a fancy word of playing, uh, saying a chair where the king sits. But he's got to sit in that place. Now, so the message, so what we have is two messages on top of one another, that are basically the same message. The message of the cross and the message of the crown are supposed to be the same message. The message of the cross, Jesus hanging on the cross, and Jesus sitting on the throne, both in the same place in the city of Jerusalem, that is the same message. It's two messages, one on top of the other. It's like a a photograph that's double exposed. God looks at it and He sees the same message. Well, how can the cross be the same message as the throne? Well, because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it said over His head, this is the King of Israel, this is the King of the Jews. When Jesus hung upon the cross, watch this, He proclaimed two messages. He said, Father, forgive them. They know what they do. They know not what they do. But there was another message that was being silently screamed out from the cross, which is all the nations of the world. Behold, this is the King of Israel. This is the King of the Jews. That is the same message that's being proclaimed at it at the exact same time. That stake on that hill is not only God proclaiming to you the forgiveness of sins, He is saying the world is in rebellion against my authority and I have set my King, my authority on my stake in my holy hill and I proclaim that to the world and you will either fight it or you will submit to it. And I don't know about you, but I love the authority of Jesus. I love his manliness and his power and his authority. He's not some sissy little lamb getting hanged up there as, as, somebody, as some kind of wimp that couldn't stop that if he wanted to. He's the king of Israel. And I don't like the message of forgiveness being proclaimed without the message of his kingly authority being claimed. Don't give me the I forgive you stuff if you're not willing to proclaim at the same time he's the king of Israel. Some of you didn't like that, huh? That's all right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, let's look at it from the other end. How do I know that the message of the king, is that the throne is the same message as, as the cross? You remember that uh, the, um, the apostle John had a vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation? And he said to him, Behold, here is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he turns around to see the lion. What does he see as a lamb? He turns back around and he said, I thought you said lion. He said, that is a lion. Turns around, what does he see? Lamb. He said, wait a minute, let's get this straight. God, you don't know the difference between a lion and a lamb here? Let's get... He said, that is the lion. He turns around, he sees a lamb. He said, when God looks, are you with me? When God looks, he sees a double exposure. He sees a lion and a lamb at the same time. It's the same message to him. It's a lamb, it's a lion, it's the same thing. The cross to him is a throne. He said the cross and the throne to him are the same thing. That stake that is in Jerusalem will become the throne upon which he sits. When God sees that cross, he sees him sitting upon that throne. Him hanging upon the cross or sitting on the throne is the same thing to him. He is declaring 
the authority of God upon heaven and earth to all men, east and west, horizontally, and to angels in heaven and to demons below the earth. He said, I am proclaiming, this is my King. And thank God He's willing to forgive us also. Hallelujah. Now those two messages are the same message. And we need to be able to see them together. These two messages. You see, that's why God's given us two eyes. The eyes and the body represent the prophets in the church. Prophets in the body of Christ. The church in Israel. One has got to see the cross and one has got to see the throne. We've got to be able to see both because if you don't see with both eyes, you don't have any depth, you don't know where you are. You have to be able to see both of them. And I believe that if we could get this straight, the prophetic message from the King of Israel, speaking to, from the King to the church, it's a Jesus coming back to rule and reign in Jerusalem. Speaking as him from the church to Israel, he's saying the Lamb was crucified for you on the cross. But it's the same thing. It's, it's the two eyes. The two prophetic messages have to be able to be proclaimed. And that same effort to get this out by proclaiming the message of the crucifixion in Jerusalem is the same message to proclaim the, the, the throne of Jesus in earthly Jerusalem to the church. It's the same effort. It's the same battle. It's the same message. It's just two different eyes to be able to get that. We need to be able to see both messages preached. Now... Why is this so difficult for the church to see this thing about Jesus coming back to Jerusalem? Why is it just as hard for the church to see that as it is for Israel to see the message of the cross? Today there is a remnant of Israelis that do see the cross and there's a remnant of Christians that see the message of the throne in Jerusalem. But it's still a small remnant and we need to see and we want to see that remnant grow. But these are the two messages that have to be proclaimed. I just see my whole life in those. I felt in prayer today, God just said, this is just your whole life. Just these two messages. To Israel, proclaim Jesus on the cross. To the church, proclaim Him as coming back as the King. Now, when I think about these two messages that are overlapping one another, it it amazes me to realize that after 50 years of Hollywood pumping garbage and pornography into the world, that the two highest-selling movies in the history of Hollywood already, one is The Passion of Jesus and the other is The Return of the King. (laughs) Amazing! I mean, all I can say about that is, way to go, God. I mean, did you ever think God could use Hollywood? I mean, the return of the king is a kind of an allegory of Jesus coming back. And the passion is the message of 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 the crucifixion. God even has such sovereignty that he can use Hollywood and take dominion. It's like God waited, you know, all these years just, you know, watching Hollywood pump this pornography into the air. And all the saints going, oh, God, do something, do something. This is so terrible. You know, bomb, nuke Hollywood. And God just said, take it easy. I'm in control. I'm in control. And all the advertising that goes out about all those pornographic movies, none of them sold like these two movies. These two movies have outsold every other. They outsold Spider-Man. They outsold everything. I mean, they just, they, they just did it. Hallelujah. Then these are the two messages. I believe that God has sovereignly put His hand on everything on this globe. Even the television, even the movie filmmakers in Hollywood, to say these are the two messages I want to proclaim to the human race. I want to proclaim the return of the king to Jerusalem, and I want to proclaim the crucifixion of Yeshua. These are the two messages. And that's just a symbol of it. I mean, I'm not raising Lord of the Rings anything more than it is, but I'm just saying what a symbol of God being in control of it. Now, with these two messages that need to go out. I mean, you can understand why the message of the cross is so difficult, but why is this thing about Jesus coming back and setting up His throne in Jerusalem? Well, one of the things is that God is going to bring Jesus back to take over the kingdoms and governments of this world and to restore the earth. 
The earth is not in the physical condition that it was supposed to be in. The earth is going to be restored. This is, the, this is what Paul spoke about in Romans 8. That the earth is groaning and crying out for Jesus to come back so that the earth would be restored. You all familiar? How many people know that passage in Romans 8? I don't have time to turn there. You know that passage. Let me ask you something. If Jesus is not coming back to earth and we're just going to go get raptured and live in heaven and this planet is gone, what is the meaning of Romans 8? How can the earth be restored if Jesus isn't coming back to the earth? How can the earth be restored if the earth is not supposed to be restored? How can the earth be restored if we're leaving it to the Antichrist? How can the earth be restored if we're just going to get helicoptered out of here and this earth is going to be gone? Wrong! Jesus is coming back to take over the governments of this world. He's coming back to renew planet Earth. The desert will blossom as a rose. Hallelujah. The trees will clap their hands and the rocks will cry out unto glory. Hallelujah. And that's why Jesus said when He came in on the triumphal entry to Jerusalem the first time and the people and the Pharisees wanted to rebuke them, the religious hypocrites said, rebuke them, rebuke the people. And He said, if the people don't cry out, the stones will cry out. What did He mean by that? He meant that the earth itself is groaning for Jesus to come back and get the pollution out, get the desert out, get renew us to be the Garden of Eden. We're sick of being a desert stinking planet. Restore us like the Garden of Eden. Jesus comes back. And there's, there's three groups that have to cry out for Jesus to come back. The church, the international community of people that believe in Jesus have to cry out, Hosanna! Maranatha! Maranatha! That means come, Lord! Please! Come, Lord Jesus! The international nations will cry out. And the Jewish people, Israel, has to cry out, Baruch Haba! Blessed is He who comes! And there's a third group, and that's the rocks and the trees and the mountains that are groaning and praying in tongues. Hallelujah! They don't speak English or Hebrew. They pray in tongues, and they're going, Come, Lord Jesus! Come down! Touch us and renew this planet! Now, if God is going to restore planet Earth, how could you possibly say that He's not going to restore Israel? Because if Israel is not going to get restored, how could He restore the rest of the Earth? I mean, do you get what I'm saying? If He doesn't come back to restore Jerusalem, it'll never get to Kansas City. No, I'm talking physically. I'm talking about there's got to be a physical contact of the power of God that's going to touch Jerusalem and spread out from Jerusalem and begin to restore this whole planet. And it's going to physically spread across this planet and it's got to touch down somewhere. Now, God could have just let fire drop from all over heaven to touch all the globe at the same time. And that's how you would have done it because you're a Christian. But Jesus is a Jew. And the way he's going to do it, he's going to come back and touch Jerusalem. And when his power hits Jerusalem, it's going to shoot out all the rest of the world. You remember at that point when, when, when I don't know if you've seen this in the Lord of the Rings, but you know what, that thing when he finally goes up and dumps that ring down there and the power, whatever that power was, shoots out all over the earth and the earth changes from a desert to greenery. Boy, that's a pretty good picture of Jesus coming back. Now the point was allegorically in that film, that the healing power in the earth couldn't go out till that ring hit that fire. But what I want to tell you is that power to heal this earth cannot go out until Jesus hits that, hits that throne. I want to tell you something, and don't, don't get this wrong, I don't mean this blasphemy. I'm telling you, his cute little behind has got to hit that chair, and then, it's, and then that power is going to be released. Until his rear end hits that chair, the power doesn't go out. Because there's no contact. There's no contact. Listen, God wants to take the power of heaven. I'm, I'm really being very serious here. God wants to take the power of heaven and touch it on this earth. He wants to take the power of heaven like in a giant injection needle and inject it into this globe and, 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 and restore the physical planet so that the deserts will blossom with a rose. But He's not going to use a, an injection needle and He's not going to rain it on heaven just like fire or rain coming out of heaven. The injection needle of God is Jesus. 
Jesus is in heaven right now and he's got the heavenly power on him and he's got to touch the earth with it. It's like when he would touch sick people. The moment he would touch them, they would be healed because the heavenly power of God would come through his hand and touch people and their bodies would be restored. And that's what he's going to do. And this time, instead of touching them with his hand, he's going to touch it with his foot. He's going to come down of heaven with all the power of God upon him. And he's going to reach down and the moment his foot touches the Mount of Olives, the healing power of God is going to shoot out over this planet. Glory to God. Uh, You know where that is in the Bible? Zechariah 14.2. Let's just check it. You know, it also says that, of course, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and his feet lifted up off the Mount of Olives, and the angel said to him, he's going to come back the same way that he went up. Feet on the Mount of Olives going up, feet on the Mount of Olives coming down. Right? Now, so Zechariah 14. fourteen two, God says, I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rival, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Hallelujah. That's the Messianic believers in the city. Amen. Verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives. There's a moment coming when Jesus, filled with the power of God, the healing power of God, will come down and his feet will touch the earth. Now, when his feet touch the earth, not only will the power of God go out to heal the trees in the desert, but it will also heal all the dead bodies that are lying in their graves. And the power of God will come into them and they will rise up upon their feet and their bones will come together and the power of God will touch them and they will raise up as a mighty army at the resurrection of the dead. He will come down as He touches this earth. He releases a power from God that will raise, that will heal the earth, raise the dead. People say, well, I, I don't understand all this. I mean, I'm under, Usher, you're so confusing me. I mean, I thought we were going to go to heaven and live with Jesus in heaven. Let me ask you something. Why would he give you a resurrection body if you're going to live in heaven? You can go to heaven without a resurrection body. You need the resurrection body to live back here on this planet. Listen, if you die before Jesus comes back, you will go to heaven. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe not everybody in this room. Hallelujah. And by the way, in the name of Jesus, we bind every witchcraft plant in this place. We bind you and we drive out that filthy spirit in the name of Jesus. And we cancel your power. Hallelujah. Now, where was I? Huh? Oh, yeah. So, um, so when we come up, if you died right now, right? If you died before Jesus come back, you will go to heaven without a resurrection body. So you don't need a resurrection body to live in heaven. The purpose of getting a resurrection body is when you come back down to live on this planet forever with Jesus. See, that's what the resurrection body is for. Oh, man, this is, why is this hard for you? I don't understand. Why would you have a resurrection, a physical body, a physically resurrected body? Why, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he went and sat with the disciples and said, Give me something to eat. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a fly. See, that's what you think. You got it wrong, folks. You think you're going to be a floating ghost in the resurrection. You're wrong. Why don't you listen to me? You're going to get a body that you can eat with and you can walk with and you can give people hugs with. Because God doesn't want you living the rest of eternity without being able to do that. He made this, he made this earth for a purpose. And in the end, He's going to restore heaven and earth together. Heaven and earth were together in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. It was our sin that separated heaven and earth. And Jesus here to restore heaven and earth and unite heaven and earth. Ephesians 1.10, He will unite everything. This is the mystery of God, to unite everything in Christ in the end of times, both that which is in heaven and that in earth. He will unite the two together. So, what I'm I'm saying is that the fact that we're going to get a resurrection body is another thing to understand why that has to be. Now, if Jesus is going to come back and bring heavenly power to this earth, there's got to be a place where He does that. There's got to be a place where it starts. And when He comes down and touches the earth, that's when that power goes out. We'll come back to the foot in a minute, but let's look at the chair again. The plan of salvation was actually not completed at the cross. Here's another way of interpreting that verse. Watch this. He said, the the stake, remember from Isaiah 22, the stake will become a throne. 
Now, the plan of salvation was not finished at the cross. After the cross, Jesus descended into hell for three days. On the third day, he rose up. Remember, and Miriam, Mary, Magdalene came up and touched him. He said, don't touch me. I haven't gone to the Father yet. And he went up into heaven. And what did he do? He sat down on the throne in heaven next to the Father. When he sat down, that's when the plan of salvation was completed. He had to come off that cross and go out. He had to take the blood. He had to take his sacrifice into the temple, into the throne room, into God's government office, into the prime minister's office in heaven and walk in there and sit down on the prime minister's chair in that office in heaven. And he said, now it is completed. That's when the plan of salvation was completed, when he sat down on that chair in heaven. Now, why is that? See, because he was already sitting in that chair before he was born. He was already on that chair. Why didn't he do salvation then? Because he was still a heavenly being. What made the connection, the power connection, when he rose from the dead, are you with me here? And with an earth, with a physical body, and he rose into heaven, where he used to sit as an angelic heavenly being, now he came up as a born again resurrected human being with an earthly body and rose up and he put his earthly butt on that heavenly throne and the power of heaven and earth touched for the first time and that released the power of salvation into the earth. It was only by him physically being resurrected and getting his physically resurrected body back into heaven and when that body his physically resurrected body touched that heavenly throne it touched the earth and the heaven together it's the connection between the two that released the power to go out now it's like that when you you know when you have electricity to release the power you got to you got to touch two things together until he touched that throne in heaven until he sat down and the father said now that's it there's a salvation i receive it he released salvation to mankind but you have to you had to put him in that slot it was like a key going into a lock i was thinking of it this way now unfortunately i don't know the terms of this but there's something about a nuclear bomb or even a nuclear power generator, when you have a, a small quantity of nuclear radioactivity and you have to stick it in the slot, either in that bomb or in that, or in that uh, reactor, and when the thing goes into that place, then the power is released. You got what I'm saying? I'm talking symbolic. Well, there's something about when Jesus is that nuclear mass stuck into that bomb in heaven, he sat into that chair, that's when the power of salvation was released. But that's not all. There's two thrones. There's the throne in heaven and there's the throne upon the earth. And now it works in reverse. The, when he connected the two, when he stuck the nuclear mass into that reactor in heaven, that released the power of salvation. But there's another part that has to be released, and that's the power of the kingdom. Salvation was released when he got to heaven. But now in reverse... When he comes back down in his heavenly body and puts that heavenly body on the earthly throne, once again, he touches heaven and earth. And when he touches it there, that's what releases the power once again. First, he released it for spiritual salvation. Secondly, he will release it for the physical redemption of planet earth and the resurrection. You see, because taking his body into heaven can only release something that is spiritual. When he got to heaven and, and he connected that, that ticket in the shikha, what do you say that in English? The, um, the, the prong into the, into the electric outlet in there, in heaven, it released a spiritual power to bring people forgiveness of sins. But now he's got to plug, if we want to see the earth redeemed and, and planet earth taken over and the resurrection that he's got to plug that back into this planet. And the outlet of that plug just happens to be in Jerusalem. And he comes down with all that heavenly power and plugs it back into Jerusalem again. That's when the power of the redemption of the earth, the resurrection of the dead and the taking over of the kingdoms of this world will take place when he makes that contact once again. There's got to be a contact or there is no release of power. Are you with me here? Am I overloading your charges here? Oh, We've got just uh, a little bit more. We're almost done. So what you see is that there's two chairs. That's why it's the same message. The chair in heaven he sat in for salvation and the chair that he'll come back to sit in on this earth which will bring us redemption. Salvation and redemption or salvation in the kingdom. Now, these two chairs... 
That's why it's the same message. The message of the cross is the heavenly chair. The message of the return of the king is the earthly chair. But it's the same, it's just the same axis that he's going to come down upon. Now, when Jesus comes back and his feet touch the earth, then he brings the heavenly power with him and the heavenly power touches the earth. I mean, he could have done it with his finger. He could have come down and stuck his finger on the earth. He could, but the way the Bible says he will come down and touch it with his feet when it touches the Mount of Olives. The Bible says when he touches the Mount of Olives that there will be an earthquake and the, and the city will be split apart. That's in Zechariah. But it also says in Ezekiel when he does that that the waters of the rivers will be turned pure and the desert will start to blossom like a rose. And when he touches this earth with, physical, with spiritual power from heaven everything will come back alive again. There will not only be an earthquake there will also be a river of life that will flow out of him when he touches there. And it will turn the leaves of the trees to green. It will turn them to be the healing of the nations. It will cause the desert to blossom as the rose. And not only will Israel be restored but all the other nations will be restored. Death will go out of the planet. Pollution will go out of the planet. Agricultural problems, economic problems, political problems, everything will go out and He will take dominion over this earth. Now, and also at that time, when He comes down and He touches earth, at that moment the devil is driven off of planet earth and locked in the abyss under the earth for a thousand years. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Revelation chapter 20, he comes down, Jesus touches there, and the, and the angels come and lock the devil up and throw him in a, in a pit. Now this is what the devil is afraid of. This is what he does not want to happen. So one way to look at this, now concentrate, I've got five minutes left here. Hey, concentrate here. When, when, he, when he comes back down and his foot touches there, the reign of the devil is over. It's gone. Therefore, the only thing the devil wants is to stop those ten toes from hitting that piece of dirt. I want to tell you something. There is nothing the devil even cares about but this. He is obsessed. He is paranoid. He is obsessed with this happening. He is paranoid about this day and night. He's as paranoid about this as Pharaoh was when he heard that a, when he heard that a savior might be born. And he killed all the Jewish children. He's as paranoid as Herod was when he heard that the king was born and he killed it. The, the devil is so paranoid about this that when he sees that Jews are coming back into Jerusalem and even some of them are starting to say Baruch Haba Hashem Adonai, blesses he who comes in the north. He's released suicide terrorism. The devil has not used suicide terrorism until there were Jews in Jerusalem saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's freaking him out. That's why the center focus of terrorism is on the streets of Jerusalem because that's where Jewish people are starting to welcome Jesus back. That's where Jesus will come back to. That's where the devil's days are ended. And that's why he's focusing on all his power to stop one thing. He says to all the demons, I don't care what happens. Let, let, let everybody in China get saved. Let everybody in India get saved. Let everybody in America get saved. I don't care. Just don't let those toes hit that ground. Now, it says here that all the nations of the world will be gathered against Jerusalem to battle. Now, they think that they're coming against Jerusalem. They don't even understand what they're doing. What they're really coming against is those toes. They are demonically motivated. The, the, the devil says that Jesus is about to come back and he says, Quick, let's, the people in Jerusalem are crying out, Blessed you come in the name of the Lord. Let's kill all of them. We've got to stop them from doing that. Just nuke everybody. Just look, those toes, they're starting to come. Quick, nuke everybody. When the devil sees those toes start to go over the edge of, over the edge of heaven and start to come down, he says, Just wipe out everybody in Jerusalem. Stop them from saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the people in Islam, in the United Nations and all that, they think they're, fight, they're coming against Jerusalem. But they don't realize that the devil is pushing them not to fight against the Jews in Jerusalem, but to fight against that Jew that's coming down who's going to destroy him. They're all coming against it. They think that they're coming against that city, but they're really coming against those toes. Now, there's a parallel to this. Because in Zechariah, you see the natural human part, but... but the book of Revelation shows us the spiritual part. At the same time, 
that the nations are coming against Jerusalem to battle, all the demonic forces are coming against to stop Jesus from coming back. Now, here's what's happening. Israel's being restored. The church is praying both for Jesus to come back and for the restoration of Israel. There begins to be the remnant in Israel. They're crying out, come, Lord Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when the devil sees that, he pushes two things. He sees that Jesus starts to get ready to come back. He marshals all the earthly forces to attack the people in Jerusalem. And he marshals all the demonic forces to stop Jesus from coming back. Now, here's what it is. At that moment, when we get right to that moment, when the devil sees that starting to happen, he calls all the demons. I mean, Baalzebub, Jezebel, I don't care who you got, he calls them all. The big ones, the little ones, he pulls out all the stops. He's not going to leave a demon anywhere else in the universe. They're all going to be one place under, on top of the Mount of Olives. And he's going to say to all the demons, everybody, just one thing. Don't let those feet hit that ground. I don't care what you have to do. If we die, every last one of us, to the last demon, we've got to do only one thing. And that is, don't let those feet hit that piece of dirt. And all the demons of hell will be there to stop him from hitting that piece of dirt. Now, they were there once before. When Jesus died and went to hell, between that, all the demons jumped on top to keep him from being resurrected. And he just blasted through and came right up. This time, instead of trying to keep him from going up, now they're trying to keep him from coming down. And they're all going to go there just as he blasted up through him. Now he's going to blast down through him. And he's not even going to have a problem with it. In fact, I think he's kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, just, uh, just one second. got to tell you a story about my son. This kind of reminds me of something. You know, it was a few months ago that uh, Hezbollah, they bombed one of the uh, Israeli posts in, in, in northern Israel. And I heard about it in the news. And I said, I said, boy, you know, it's really close to where my son is. And I called him on the cell phone. And I said, uh, you know, Heskel, how are you doing? And he said, oh, fine, Dad. I said, listen, I heard that they bombed in your area. He said, no, no, Dad, they didn't bomb in my area. They bombed my outpost. I said, are you kidding? I said, you all right? He says, yeah, I'm all right. He said, they bombed us. I said, well, I said, uh, how was it? He said, cool. <laughs> I said, uh, don't tell mom. <laughs> but anyway, I just see, you know, you know, Jesus is just saying, make my day. You know, I'm not, but oh, all the demons are gathered against me. Oh. He just says, come on. Hey, you left a few over there in China. You left a few over there in Los Angeles. Get them all in here, you know. I just want to, let's take them all down on one shot, man. I'm just looking for them. Put them all in front of me, man. I'm just going to blast them right out of the way. Now, there is a connection between heaven and earth here. Heaven and earth have to touch one another. One side thing to help you something in worship. As I understand worship in the book of Revelation, it says that the people were before the throne. It's not talking about people that died and went to heaven, folks. It's talking about people on earth that are worshiping. Who saw that? John. Was John in heaven? No, he was in Patmos. He was physically on the ground and spiritually in heaven. If you're already in heaven, you're not doing any good. It's only when you're on earth and you're worshiping God that you make the connect between heaven and earth. When a physical human being worships God in the Spirit, he in himself is making a connection, a ladder between heaven and earth. And that's why when we worship God in a physical body, on this earth, in the end times, in the tribulation, we are the ones through our worship that cast the Antichrist down and cast him down. And people say to me, oh, aren't you worried about the mark of the beast? And I just say, just keep worshiping, man. Your worship can destroy him. What are you worried about? Just keep playing on that guitar. Just keep singing praises to Jesus while you're here. Let me tell you something. If you get raptured before that and you're worshiping God in heaven, you're going to do no good at all. You sissy. Man, you plant your feet on the ground here and you don't care what the devil, the Antichrist is doing and you worship God and your spirit ascends before the throne and you become a connecting link between heaven and earth and God will use your praise and your worship to drive down the forces of the devil and the Antichrist. What are you worried about the Antichrist? I'll tell you what's wrong. Your, your singing is stronger than the Antichrist. Huh? You're singing. Did you hear that? You know, like David sang when Saul was possessed. Well, if the Antichrist comes to you, just sing him a song. <laughs> oh, the Antichrist. I tell you, if the Antichrist walks in your room, just sing him. Oh, the power of the blood of Jesus. Holy. Just start singing to him. He'll run away from you. He'll say, stop tormenting me. <laughs> just keep singing at him. 
Now, now what I'm saying is that all the forces of the devil are there to just do one thing. Are you te- is this helping you understand some strategy of fair warfare? They're all there to stop one thing, which is those feet coming down. That's why all the end times terrorism is directed against the people in Jerusalem, to stop them from doing that. Now, but now all the forces of the devil are there to just do one thing, is to not let those feet touch that piece of dirt. Now, it amazes me to think that the pre-tribulation rapture theory is, is based on a thought that Jesus will come halfway down and go back up. That whole theology is based on one thought, that his feet will really not touch that piece of dirt. Because if his feet don't touch that dirt, then the devil stays on this planet. There's no resurrection from the dead. There's no redemption of planet Earth. And there's no, that's the exact thing that the devil is trying to do. Anything, but don't let those feet touch that. And if you see it, and if you have to, if you believe that Jesus is coming back, the devil says, well, you know, if you believe in Jesus and you believe he's coming back, how about this? Why don't you just believe that he'll come all the way down? He'll come two inches from the ground and then he'll go back up. How's that sound? Okay, that's good. Sounds good to me. Who do you think wrote that theology? That's a devilish theology if I ever heard of it. Because I'm telling you something, we're here to get those feet to touch back down that piece of dirt. And the devil is out here to stop those feet from getting down to that dirt. And I don't care if he uses terrorism, if he uses pre-tribulation rapture theory. I don't care what he does, we're going to fight it and tear down those lies. If we have to kill terrorists or preach against pre-tribulation rapture, we're going to or preach the gospel in Jerusalem or preach Jesus coming back to the church. We are going to see those feet come down and touch that piece of dirt. And Jesus is going to take over this planet and we're going to win. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think that's enough. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for this message, Lord God. We just pray. Lord, we don't pray for the message. We pray for Jesus. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that it really doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what the devil does. You're coming back. You're going to do it. And, Lord, we're not going to let the rocks cry out without us, Lord. When they cry out, we're going to cry out at the same time. The church and Israel and the rocks, we're all just going to welcome you back out. Lord, and we believe you're coming back. We believe you're going to take all that heavenly power and touch this planet. Change the earth. Give us resurrection bodies. Set up your kingdom upon this earth. And then eventually bring heaven and earth together. Jesus, we believe you win. You do it all. There's not going to be anything that's broken that you're not going to fix. There's not going to be anything dead that you're not going to bring back to life. There's not going to be anything that was hurt by sin that you're not going to restore. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. And Lord, we pray for this double vision, Lord, of both the cross and the throne taking place, the stake becoming a chair in that place in Jerusalem. Lord, we thank you that, Jesus, this is the mystery, that in the fullness of the dispensations of time, God will gather all things into one in Jesus, both those things which are heaven and those things in earth. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you that the cross pulls those two chairs together, and the two chairs will become one chair, and Jesus will sit in it at that same place that he was crucified on. Heaven and earth together. Hallelujah. You know, he had to be hung upon the cross. The Lord just showed me this. Because heaven and earth were not together. So he had to be hung between the two. But when he comes back to sit down, heaven and earth will come to the same place and he'll be able to sit down in one chair, both in heaven and earth together. Lord, we just praise you. We thank you. And God, we just thank you for the the fullness of the restoration of the church of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the purity and the victory and the empowerment and the glory of the bride. And Lord, we also thank you for the restoration of Israel and Jesus coming back to establish his kingdom, Lord. Father, we thank you. And Lord, we ask you, may his cross and his throne, may that stake in that chair be the center of our hearts. In Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. We're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your